The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus came and stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. The Gospel today is very typical of the Gospels in the Easter season, reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus. And so in today's Gospel, we have a very physical description of Jesus following the resurrection. The fact that Jesus appears in the midst of his disciples, he asks them to look at the wounds on his hands and his feet. He even uh, invites them to dine with him. He has something to eat. And these are all ways of expressing um, the existence of Jesus following the resurrection, that Jesus is really here. And that's the way the gospel writers have portrayed it. The essence of the resurrection of Jesus is the fact that the spirit of Jesus endured. The spirit of Jesus is alive. That is the core message. And so the, the evangelists had to use language that would be understood by the people they were speaking to. Now those who lived in the Middle East at that time, the Israelites, the Hebrews, had a very graphic sense of life. It was grounded in the physical. And it's interesting that this is reflected in their language. You know, the Hebrew language has a very small vocabulary. Unlike, for example, ancient Greek, that has a large vocabulary, 
and therefore able to sustain philosophical thought, where you have all of the, uh, the technicalities of higher thinking. That's why the Greeks were able to produce uh, an Aristotle and a Plato and so on. They had the language to actually pursue a research into the mind. That, of course, was not the case uh, in Israel. In fact, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, there are passages where the author is trying to explain the presence of God. Now, that's a very simple thing. Might be easy to express, but in the Hebrew language, it's not so simple. It demands something concrete. And so frequently you find in that expression about the presence of God, you find something like, and God pitched his tent with us. You see, that's how they were able to comprehend the presence of the Lord, like they would comprehend the presence of one of their peers pitching a tent with them. So uh, it's no wonder why the, the passages about the resurrection are so graphically physical. It's like a resuscitation. Now I'd like to uh, venture off, not, not with the gospel today, because I don't think it really, for me anyway, it really doesn't make a point. I'd like to venture into the first reading, also by Luke. You know, Luke wrote uh, both his gospel, which was then followed by the Acts of the Apostles. And if you ever want to get a very quick course in Christianity, read the Gospel of Luke followed by the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, you don't even have to read the rest of the New Testament, frankly. If you could digest those two, you've got everything. And it's wonderful because it's the same author. So it's very coherent all the way through. So what really impresses me about the resurrection of Jesus is not the physical body that was resurrected, but is the fact that the Spirit of Christ is alive. And in the Acts of the Apostles, and an example of which we had in our first reading, we see how the Spirit of Jesus is animating the early Christians. How it's leading them to do unbelievable things. Remember who the early Christians were. They were very, very simple people. Most of them not literate. In fact, the Bishop of Rome, the first Bishop of Rome, is Peter, the leader of the Apostles, who was a fisherman. In fact, several were fishermen, tax collectors, and so on. So who are these people that are able to go out into the world and spark a tremendous revolution? What talents did they have? What abilities? How could this be done? And we know that Christianity did, in fact, historically spread very quickly and explosively. Now this is where we see the 
resurrected Jesus. This is where we see the presence of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus enduring and living. Living through those who were engaged with him. And the same is true of our time as well. Now, it's very interesting that when you go way back in the period of time that we're discussing, we find a very authentic experience of Christianity. And the descriptions in the Acts of the Apostles of, of the early Christian community are marvelous. How they embodied all the virtues, generally speaking, not exclusively, but generally. The virtues that, for example, Jesus proclaimed in his preaching, like the the eight Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. About being merciful and so on. About justice. They live these things. Because they can be lived if you have the right spirit. They are, they are possible. With that as a little uh, introduction, let me move on to a more practical application of this. I found this quote which reminded me, uh, in the early 80s, I remember, before there was internet and everything, uh, if you worked in a business in an office, you would frequently get these uh, office jokes that were copied and circulated around in the office. And you know, it, I hadn't thought of this until the other day. I, I, I just happened to come across it. And it was about people who are working hard. Uh, they have a lot of things expected of them. They don't always have all the tools they need, but they have an objective to meet and they have to work hard to do it and frequently feel as though they're being neglected or that the, the task is impossible because nobody understands what they have to go through. And it's not only in the business office, but in our families, in our schools, in society, and so on. So this is the quote. <clears throat> it's very telling for our own time. We the willing, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We have done so much with so little for so long, we are now qualified to do anything with nothing. I really believe this. I really believe this. Because my experience in life has always been that there's always the few that do most of the work, no matter where you are. Again, it could be anywhere. It could be in the church. It could be in the school. It could be at home in the family. It could be in our political society, whatever the case may be, it's always the few that are beating their brains out. That, in essence, brings us back to the early Christian community and brings us back to what Luke was trying to drive home with the spirit of Jesus. You see, they were people of this sort. And the only reason why they were able to succeed was because the Spirit of Jesus imbued them. 
It, it enabled them to do the things that normally they probably wouldn't be able to do, as we do in our lives. And so the gospel of Jesus asks us to, to turn our world upside down in order to change it, in order to make improvements. And it goes contrary to everything we experience as human beings. Because we all know that life is ruled by the, that great trinity, me, myself, and I. The human ego is in charge, always. And what the gospel preaches is a way to transcend the ego, to go beyond it and live differently. And things may happen. In place of greed, we are to be generous. In place of the injustice we face, we are asked to be kind. In the face of violence, love even the violent. We are to shame others with our example of virtue, humility, and yes, even humor. But we always must hold accountable every human injustice. Now, as you well know, as drops of water eventually wear down a mountain, we must persist always. Now, you cannot deal with the opposition on their terms. You cannot deal with power using power. It is a fool's errand. It rarely ever works, as, the human, as human history uh, testifies. We have to reset our attitude, even our anger, when we're faced with these challenges. Just like the martial arts fighter who turns the strength of his advers adversary against him, a redirection of energy. Now, it took maybe 2,000 years for what Jesus preached to begin to take hold on a massive level. But eventually it did. And some show that it can be done. Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Lenk Walesa, They exemplified what I began with on that office joke. And I believe it was Margaret Mead who said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has.
Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.